coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy hump day to you. What's going on? My name is Ron Roberts, host of The Ron Show, also local real estate agent. I only mention that because I don't mention it very often, and uh, someone who critiques the show says, you should tell folks about you. First of all, you should tell them your name. And I didn't realize this, but like I don't often give my first and last name. Sorry about that. Again, if you missed it, hi, I'm Ron Roberts, host of The Ron Show, local real estate agent, a realtor, actually. But that's another matter for another segment or maybe a commercial break at some point in time. Let's dive right on into some of the headlines of the day. Governor Brian Kemp deciding to issue an executive order in uh, suspending the state's gas tax. That'll save you and I 31 cents a gallon, or if you drive diesel, about 35 cents a gallon. And it's one of those awkward scenarios where those who are ideologically opposed to him have to awkwardly say, well, this is a terrible idea. No, it's not. It's not a terrible idea to save me five, six dollars on a tank of gas. I'm not going to sit here and quibble about that. What I am going to say, however, is it's because the state's tax coffers are overflowing. There's so much money in excess of what's needed that the governor decides, well, let's give some of this back to the people. Uh, Again, I don't have any questions or qualms or quibbles with that, but it is sort of interesting that we have so many things that this state needs to address, needs to tackle, whether it be for infrastructure, growth, or expansion. I mean, need I say that Atlanta highways are full. We full. When it comes to our, our, our commutes, we full. We don't have nearly the options that a city of this size should. And I know I talk a lot about mass transit and I'd love to see more of it. I was stopping at a Target near Five Points today, or Little Five Points, and thought, why is there not a Marta stop right here? And obviously, I couldn't take it anyway because I'm a few blocks from a streetcar stop that would take me to a Marta stop that would take me to the... See, it's just not worth it. By that time, I might as well just get in the car and drive there. My point is... Whether it's streetcar expansion, whether it's MARTA expansion, we have a mass transit agency that is reducing its wish list from a recent sales tax push because inflation ate into what they had hoped to do. And so they're coming away with a lot less. I mean, that's just one idea. I was uh, scanning through Twitter X early today. I'm still going to call it Twitter. Uh, early today, and I saw where the folks at uh, Capital B News were sharing an article that spoke to the folks in... Hey, let me pull it up, because I want to make sure I'm not misstating this. Yeah, here it is. They started talking a little bit about the origins of Interstate 20 cutting through the west side of Atlanta, and how it essentially bisected black Atlanta from white... I mean, that's just an... It's it's, it's a given in this in this city. It's a given throughout this country, but it's definitely a given in this city that roads and highways were used to segregate the city of Atlanta. Uh, There was a follow-up tweet with an article that talked about how the residents of Mosley Park, a majority black community, have spent about two years trying to get the Georgia Department of Transportation to build a noise barrier along the highway, but Georgia Department of Transportation officials refused to do so. Now, that's another little 
topic, by the way, I could just completely go off on a tangent. I, I think noise barriers are kind of ugly. And I know that, especially along the Georgia 400 corridor, they're erecting a lot of the concrete with the etched stone look. It's fake, but, you know, still better, better looking than the uh, aluminum siding stuff that's all along Interstate 20 uh, that goes through uh, downtown Atlanta, I guess. And that stuff has been there since the 70s and 80s, and you've got kudzu overgrowth and all kinds of other uh, natural fauna and flora growing over it. These these barriers are ugly. They're they're unsightly to begin with. Not that direct access visually from your yard to an interstate is visually appealing to you either, but looking at the backside of uh, a noise barrier, it's just a giant concrete, you would hope, wall. Meh. But maybe that noise barrier with some landscaping or some murals or mosaics. Okay, now we're talking, right? Noise barriers in and of themselves, by the way, only benefit the homes nearest the interstate. And when you're that close to the interstate, that noise can be mind-numbing. It can be persistent and loud. It's almost as if you're sitting next to, like literally next to an oscillating fan that is just at full tilt. You just you 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 just kind of walk around with it, no matter whether you're at home or not. You walk around with that uh, ringing in your ears the rest of your life. The further you get away from the noise barrier, however, the less the noise barrier prevents noise from finding where you are two, three, four blocks away. Those noise barriers really don't stifle the noise. So that may be a super costly way to make a few people along the interstate pretty happy? I don't know. Again, I also happen to think they're rather unsightly and just provide another canvas for Atlanta's graffiti community to do what they're going to do and what they have done and continue to do seemingly unabated. We could expand Medicaid. Oh, yeah, he's not going to do that. There's no way he's going to do that. But we could. It's right there. The money's right there. What else could we do? We could fund the pilot initiative that creates at least moderately paced, if not high-speed rail, connecting Georgia's cities to each other and Atlanta and the airport. That would be so huge for airport traffic, for commerce. It would alleviate some of the vehicular traffic along the interstates. It would, would prevent deaths along the interstates and some of the state's highways. <sighs> We can't do that because the fossil fuel and auto industry lobbies like sons of guns. So, can't do that. I mean, Governor Kemp has now become a really big proponent of electric and hybrid vehicles because of the plants that are coming to Georgia to produce electric and hybrid vehicles. Maybe instead of charging vehicle owners more for having a vehicle of that kind, we could create some incentives to get more people to buy that. I mean, that too is something of a gas tax, right? And so here's the other question. If you're going to suspend the gas tax for a month, what do electric vehicle owners get? Nothing. Shafted. It's it's like a property tax uh, rebate or reduction of some sort or a holiday. What, what do the tenants get out of that? You think the landlords are going to pass that on? Huh, that's cute. That's so precious. 
There's some question about the legality of the governor's suspending of the gas tax. He's using this state of emergency, the state of emergency being inflation, which is, what, a third of what it was about a year ago? I mean, it's it's seemingly almost normal now, and you have to remember, he is going to be out of office in 2026 and likely running for Senate, so he's still got to work on the resume, you would think, because he's going to be challenging the incumbent, John Ossoff. Here's what he said when he released this statement from runaway federal spending. We've actually lowered the deficit under Biden. To policies that hamstring domestic energy production. We talked about this yesterday. Domestic energy production is higher than it's ever been. Higher than a previous high in 2019. But okay, Brian. All Bidenomics has done is take more money out of the pockets of the middle class. Governor Brian Kemp said, while high prices continue to hit family budgets. And what solution do you have for that? I mean, seriously, what, what solution? You notice that they, they harp on high prices, but they offer no solutions. There are no solutions to be had. What, more tax cuts for the wealthy? They're going to just lower prices? When has business ever just said, we're just going to lower prices across the board? I mean, I can still go get that big, tall can of Arizona tea for 99 cents at the convenience store. But other than that, everything else is just continuing to go up because the cost of gas goes up. And there's nothing that Joe Biden can do about that, essentially, except to continue growing our domestic fossil fuel production, which much of the chagrin of those of us on the left, he's actually done. Brian Kim continues. Uh, While high prices continue to hit family budgets, hardworking Georgians deserve real relief, and that's why I signed an executive order today to deliver it directly to them at the pump. Working with partners in the General Assembly will continue. He's not actually gone to the General Assembly to do this. He hasn't called on a special session to come in and rubber stamp this. He's, again, using an executive order, a state of emergency to do this. He says it will continue to help Georgians weather the economic headwinds caused by this president just no proof. Oh, God. His administration and their allies in Congress. It's a stunt. It's a political stunt. And hey, listen, again, we're going to benefit from it. A little $5, uh, you know, chip off the, the tab for a full tank of gas. Yeah. I, I, how many folks do you think were taking those gift certificates from the Herschel Walker campaign when he was doling out, literally like doling out money, essentially, gift cards to folks in neighborhoods, he knew he wasn't going to get votes in, but they sure as hell took those gift cards. And I'm going to take that $5 discount off the uh, off the gas tab when I fill up next time, too. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Is it the right thing to do? Is it the responsible thing to do? Eh. So we're going to benefit a little bit from a political stunt. This is a de facto campaign contribution out of the taxpayer coffers from from Georgia's revenue bucket to the Brian Kemp for Senate campaign. Mark my words, this will come up. You know something else I'd love to see as opposed to a $5 discount off my tanks of gas for the next month or two or however long he decides to do this? I'd love to see something of an agency that exists between the state mental health department and our state prison system so that we're not just locking folks with mental disabilities in prison because we have nowhere else to put them. 
I know a young man in his early 20s who was born to a mother who was a drug addict. He was born with all number of psychological, neurological disabilities, but he is a barely functioning adult who is in and out of jail. He will never be an actual functioning adult. He needs to live in something of a halfway house, an assisted living facility where he's free to have a job and he has to show up for that job. But the only time he gets to go out and about is when the bus shows up like they do at the old folks home to take you to the grocery store, the department store to get your needs and come on back. What kind of work could someone like that do? Well, we were talking about the noise barriers along the interstates and the graffiti on them, uh, the unkempt landscaping along our highways and medians. That's an honest day's work for some honest pay for someone who needs something to do, but also needs to be helicoptered over full time to keep them out of prison. That right there is a program that would eventually just pay for itself. But I digress. We're going to save $5 off a tank of gas. Congrats, Brian Kemp. More on show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Wednesday. You're going to think I'm out of my mind for saying this because this is a political show and podcast after all, but politics is the root of so much of what's wrong with this country, man. So... I know there are some that are going to be listening and chiming back at me and saying, Ron, you should be happy we're getting a gas tax cut for however long we're going to get it. I mean, okay, I'm not unhappy we're going to be saving, again, about $5 off a tank of gas. And so, like, say you live off a tank for a week, right? It's going to save you about $75 the rest of the year. Am I doing that right? $75, $80 for the rest of the year. Okay. I mean, I'm not unhappy about that. It's just $80, though. Is that really going to alter your family's spending habits for the rest of the calendar year? No, of course not. It's a stunt. That's the thing. It's a stunt. And instead of tackling the actual causes for this, Brian Kemp chooses to make political hay. You're going to get $5 off your tank of gas. And he's going to score some political points for his party at the behest of the president that has absolutely almost nothing to do with gas prices. You know what does affect gas prices? Well, the Ukraine-Russian war and our embargo and the fact that, you know, Russia's a pretty big supplier of oil. We are, too. We're actually the largest supplier of oil to the global fossil fuel market. I want to focus on the word global because... It's not like we can say, well, let's just make more oil and we'll all keep it for ourselves. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. We were talking about this when the pipeline was such a big deal. Oh, you got to get the pipeline completed. Why? So you can just get it to the port of New Orleans and then ship all that stuff out for somebody else to make use of? That's what happens. It all hits the global market. All that Canadian sludge was going to come through our land and water and drip into our land and water. on its way out so that a Canadian company can make more money. We take all of the risk and they make all the money, but the global oil supply is where it was going. It was never going to directly impact our gas prices in any substantive way. And if we doubled our output, it really wouldn't put that much of a dent in oil prices. But the Ukraine-Russian war puts Russia on the sidelines as far as contributing to that global oil supply. And oh, by the way, the Saudis, the Trump family friends, the Saudis are complicit. 
This was eight days ago from Yahoo News. Saudi Arabia and Russia unveiling the fresh extension to their voluntary supply cuts this morning. That was the latest catalyst for those oil prices. With us now to discuss further is Tamar Esner, Vectis Energy Partners principal. Thanks for being here, Tamar. So as we look at the dynamics here in the oil market, first, let's start with that extension of the production cuts on the part of Saudi Arabia in particular. How important is that and how much it's extended to December? How much further could we see it extended? Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me. I think it's significant because Saudi is going at this unilaterally. Obviously, we've seen that your prior reporter reported about Russia extending through September as well. That's all part of Russia's seasonal plan as they, they always come off a little bit in September. Um, and then that production comes back in, in October and November. And we think that Russia is very much incentivized to pump as much as they can right now and find alternative markets um, to Western buyers because they need all the revenue that they can get as they prosecute this war in Ukraine, and they've really um, lost market share on gas. So they have to find it on, on oil. At the same time, we've seen that uh, Venezuela and Iran have been pumping more than expected, and other countries within OPEC, which are not part of this unilateral production cut, um, and that historically have had much more volatile production outlooks like Nigeria and Iraq and um and Libya, they've actually been quite stable with their production out, out um, with their production flows. So I think that Saudi Arabia might have a little bit of difficulty because their production cuts are going to be offset by higher production from other countries within OPEC. That being said, it is really significant because they are trying to address the skepticism of the market. The rally since the lows in June has really been an unloved rally, and they're really trying to convince investors that, hey, just because there's macro concerns from an interest rate perspective and from negative uh, headlines about China, we are here and we are fully committed. So I think it's really meant to address the psychology more than the fundamentals. Brian Kemp didn't say a word about Vladimir Putin invading Ukraine, and he didn't say a word about Saudi Arabia purposely throttling back their oil production. Those have impacts on the global market, which has an impact on the cost of a tank of gas. Neither the anchor nor the expert said word one about Bidenomics or Biden's domestic fossil fuel or energy policy. And by the way, did I read this to y'all yesterday? Don't see it in yesterday's show notes. Uh, Politico, the U.S. is pumping oil faster than ever. Republicans don't care. Facts be damned. And sometimes you just have to point this out to the simpletons. Even if we did produce enough oil for our own needs, we, again, couldn't just wall it off and keep it to ourselves. This from an article last May uh, of 2022 from NASDAQ. You see the U.S. does produce enough oil to meet its own needs, but it's the wrong type of oil. Crude oil is graded according to two main metrics, weight and sweetness. The weight of oil defines how easy it is to refine or break down into usable component parts, such as gasoline, jet fuel, and diesel. Light crude is the easiest to handle. Heavy is the most difficult, with intermediate obviously somewhat in between. The sweetness refers to the sulfur content of unrefined oil. The sweeter it is, the less sulfur it contains. Next paragraph. Most of the oil produced in the U.S. fields in Texas, Oklahoma, and elsewhere is light and sweet compared to what comes from the Middle East and Russia. The problem is that for many years, imported oil met most of the U.S.'s energy needs, so a larger percentage of the refining capacity here is geared towards dealing with oil that is heavier and less sweet than the kind produced here. 
So instead of us being the United States of America and getting on to Saudi Arabia for contributing to our economic woes at the gas pump, Governor Brian Kemp chooses to play politics. By the way, back to this NASDAQ article, this paragraph I want you to hear. A coordinated, forward-looking energy policy over the last few decades would have targeted that issue, the refinery issue I was speaking of, through subsidies and incentives. That money has been paid out anyway. It wouldn't have been hard to use it to make America truly energy independent. However, politicians, it seems would rather keep a situation where periodic energy crises give them a cudgel with which to beat an incumbent. Lest you think that the writer is making a partisan point here, current criticism is of a Democrat by Republicans, but the last time crude was at these levels, it was Democrats criticizing George W. Bush, a Republican for policies and actions that they said forced oil higher back then. So again, back to how this segment started. Politics. Although I would at least argue that one party's been trying to get us off the spigot with alternate energy options, while the other party's been screaming drill, baby drill, since 2011. All right, when we come back, a judge hands the city of Atlanta its ass in the cop city vote saga. We've got that coming up for you after the break. On the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Get more at RonShowATL.com. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, so it was at about, I don't know, 3.45 or so. We started seeing the headlines coming from out of this. Uh, I'm going to read from an AP piece, the headline, Judge Blames Atlanta Officials for Confusion Over Stop Cop City Referendum Campaign. This AP article A federal judge overseeing the case involving Atlanta activist referendum effort against a police and firefighter training facility accused city officials today of moving the goalpost on the signature gathering campaign, saying they have, quote, directly contributed to a widespread sense of confusion over the matter. That is U.S. District Judge Mark Cohen, who ruled that he does not have the authority to force the city of Atlanta to begin processing the tens of thousands of signatures that were handed in Monday by Stop Cop City activists. But he went on to explain that he cannot intervene while a larger dispute over the effort is awaiting input from the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. But it didn't stop him, however, from chiming in in other ways. He said he was, quote, compelled to comment upon the vacillating positions of the city of Atlanta throughout this litigation saying, on June 21st, 2023, instead of approving a referendum petition, it had no intention to honor regardless of the number of signatures obtained from city residents, the city could have taken the position it later espoused in this lawsuit and disapproved the petition as unauthorized under Georgia law. The judge went on. The city instead opted to approve a petition for a referendum it believed and later contended was illegal. A proverb dating back over four centuries ago once again applies here. Honesty is the best policy. I sort of had this epiphany today when I was thinking about this. This delay tactic, while again, just another PR fumble on the city's part, failing to control the narrative, failing to win over the hearts and minds of folks who may be undecided along the margins. No, I, I think this delay tactic is more about letting the site work, the prep work, the clearing to continue in hopes that they will run out the clock on getting the referendum on the November ballot, which was the initial target, and then push it back to the March ballot, at which point, even if they lose the referendum, 
that by the way, they don't even believe that they'd be bound to. Like the city doesn't believe that they would have to be held to the outcome of that ballot initiative to begin with. They believe that the city council's decision back in 2021 to lease the land to the Atlanta Police Foundation can't be overturned by referendum. But at least they would have the argument if they lost that referendum in March. And I'm I'm starting to think that the numbers. I mean, they got 116,000 signatures on these petitions. Even if 60% of them are valid, that's well more than the 58,000 necessary. My point is, if the city loses the referendum in March, well, we're, we're looking at, what, six months or so that are going to transpire, seven months or so that are going to transpire between now and that referendum, would, at which point we get the results. If they lose that referendum, they can just say, well, so much work's been done now. We we have to we have to we don't want to waste the taxpayers' money. We're just going to go forward with this and fight this in court and argue that the referendum isn't something we have to abide by anyway. The Cop City Vote campaign on Twitter, stating we continue to call on the city to begin the verification process and will evaluate all illegal strategies to ensure every petitioner's voice is heard. As always, the city council can simply vote to place Cop City on the ballot and let Atlanta decide. All right, so let's talk some development here. The folks uh, at Portman Holdings and Halpern Enterprises are working together to redevelop a piece of property called Amsterdam Walk. Amsterdam Walk was like this shopping center area near Piedmont Park in the Beltline, kind of uh, wedged uh, against the park and the uh, Atlanta Beltline, which, by, way, by the way, is being extended towards Ansley Mall. Uh, It is literally, this piece of property is literally fed by one street, one road that takes you to an already crowded four-lane, no turn lanes, Monroe Drive in Midtown Atlanta. I drive that road all the time. It's, again, a four-lane road with no turn lane. Somebody's got to turn left. Ugh. It's a beating. <laughs> You're stuck because there's no turn lanes. Uh, it's, 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 an over, it's an over-taxed road uh, in midtown Atlanta. Uh, and, again, famously, while there is the Beltline, there is no streetcar extension yet. The streetcar will not even go by this piece of property. Anytime soon. The latest extension for the streetcar will stop back at uh, Pond City Market in Old Fourth Ward. So anyway, Portman Holdings, Halpern Enterprises uh, released details for their redevelopments of the Amsterdam Walk plot. This nine-acre project is set to include 900 apartments plus new offices and retail spaces. 900 apartments. And they they give you details about how I think like a fifth of these apartments will be like cited for affordable housing for folks who I think are 80% of the median income uh, in the city. Oh, okay, that's fine. 900 apartments. Let that sink in. 900 apartments 
with one outlet onto Monroe Drive that is already super crowded as it is. 900 apartments sharing essentially a driveway. Now, I will point out that on the backside of this property, like literally just right alongside it where uh, Guaki Margie's used to be, uh, Worcester Drive is another potential outlet. But that Worcester Drive is the street that people use to get into Piedmont Park to literally get to the parking deck at Piedmont Park. And it gets pretty crowded itself, particularly on the weekends. All right, so even if even if they were somehow able to tap into Worcester Drive, and, and, and currently that property doesn't do that. The parking, the parking lot for Amsterdam Walk doesn't let you use Worcester Drive. So maybe they're able to do that. You're still looking at two driveways for 900 apartments, and we're not even talking about the traffic that the office and retail is going to bring to this plot of land, to this nine acres in Midtown Atlanta. But Ron, the streetcar's eventually going to come there. Okay. They're talking about breaking ground on this in two years. That streetcar is nowhere near going to be anywhere near in the... In two years, when they're breaking ground on this piece of property and starting to build on it, I guarantee you, there won't even be blueprints. There'll be no design for the streetcar extension to go that far. And you know people are fighting the streetcar part too. Never mind that that was part of the Beltline's initial design from the jump. There are people who open businesses along the Beltline. Well, I didn't know that was coming. I don't like that. That's going to be... You moron. It was part of the process to begin with. And actually, it'll be good for your business. When the weather sucks, people won't want to be biking and inline skating and walking along the Beltline. Boy, it'd be nice to have a streetcar to bring folks to your business on those crappy weather days, right? Oh, yeah. I'm reading this article that uh, is uh, highlighting this story in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and they quoted the president of the Morningside Lennox Park Association, Don Campbell. He said that they've been shown copious amounts of traffic data that Portman collected during the spring before school let out. And he says, quote, people always make the assumption that a development of this type will absolutely increase traffic in the area. But in many cases, that is not true because the idea of making it a walkable, bikeable, pedestrian-friendly area sometimes decreases traffic because parking is not the main focus of the project. Hold up. Wait a minute. You're telling me that also parking is not going to be a focus? There are going to be 900 apartments plus commercial office and retail. The article goes on, uh, Zachary Hansen writing this, by the way, uh, first phase of the project, likely focusing on the residential, retail, and public aspects of the project, including plazas and courtyards. But I'm not hearing uh, transporter pads, helipad. Yeah, l- seriously, I'm thinking Star Trek here, y'all, because that 900 apartments and one, maybe two drives out to a already busy four-lane road without turn lanes. Are there going to be gondolas that'll take you over Piedmont Park to the other side of the park where there are other decent-sized street options to get you somewhere? 
And okay, say, uh, let's go 15%, okay? Let's go 15% of the folks that uh, are going to have apartments in there are going to work from home. We won't need a vehicle to get around very often. It's Atlanta. I don't know where you're going. And they're going to use the bike or the belt line, uh, uh, the, the bike on the belt line or the belt line to walk to and from their nearest grocery store. And they'll just get their other stuff, Amazon delivered. That's 135 of those 900 units, right? Uh, it's a healthy walk to the nearest two grocery stores, three grocery stores. Actually, yeah, there's 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 a Kroger and a Publix near each other, but a healthy haul from this plot of land. Unless maybe they're going to put a grocery store in there. And then you've got the attraction of a grocery store now. See, this does not work, man. This 900 apartments on this nine-acre piece of property with one, maybe two outlets onto a four-lane road without turn lanes that's already crowded. Atlanta zoning. Are you paying attention to this? I'm sorry, but at Portman Holdings, Halpern Enterprises, anybody building something like this along the Beltline and the projected path of a streetcar needs to have an impact fee that covers the cost of getting that streetcar extended to it already. That's just how I see it. I mean, this is this is bad. This is not good for that area of Atlanta. I mean, no, get me wrong. Yeah, new resident. We we definitely want that, and 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 some options. Fantastic. But 900 apartments with one, maybe two outlets onto a four-lane road without turn lanes. This is bad without some options for folks to get around from that property out to other parts of Atlanta without using a vehicle. All right, when we come back, uh, one of the big news of the day in Washington Senator Mitt Romney is not going to seek a second term in the U.S. Senate. And you're like, well, big deal. Romney's a Republican. No, this is kind of a big deal. It's it's one of those, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. You're going to listen to me praising Mitt Romney when we come back. On The Ron Show, the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show, final segment for the day. And I'm having a little bit of a sad, honestly. And it might surprise you to learn it, that it's because a Republican senator says he's not running for re-election. But hear me out. It's Mitt Romney. And the old uh, axiom, it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't, really comes to mind here. First, I'm going to play for you his statement where he announces he's not going to seek a second term in the U.S. Senate. You know, contrary to a lot of expectations, I enjoy my work in the Senate a good deal. The last few years have been particularly productive as I was able to help lead and negotiate the bipartisan infrastructure law, Mm -hmm. a comprehensive China strategy process, religious liberty protections, a compromised gun safety law, Mm -hmm. the Electoral Count Act reform, and emergency Mm -hmm. COVID relief funding. Mm -hmm. I was also able to help secure key Utah priorities, including funding for Hill Air Force Base and its program to modernize our nuclear deterrent, as well as funding for wildfire prevention, water infrastructure, rural broadband, removal of uranium tailings from Moab, expansion and restoration of our highway and transit infrastructure, and federal studies to save the Great Salt Lake. I've spent my last 25 years in public service of one kind or another. At the end of another term, I'd be in my mid-80s, frankly, it's time for a new generation of leaders, 
They're the ones that need to make the decisions that will shape the world they will be living in. Amen. Now, we face critical challenges, mounting national debt, climate change, mm. and the ambitious authoritarians of Russia and China. Neither President Biden nor former President Trump are leading their party to confront those issues. On deficits and debt, both men refuse to address entitlements, even though they know that this represents two-thirds of federal spending. I mean, if you don't want to account for the U.S. military and the Trump tax cuts or tax cuts in general, just kind of wiping away the... Oh, okay, I, I didn't say he was perfect, right? And, and, and by the way, President Biden's first two and a half years in office, we've done more on climate change than... that. That is patently false. But I digress. Like I said, I didn't say the man was perfect. Let me let him finish his statement. Donald Trump calls global warming a hoax, mm -hmm. and President Biden offers feel-good solutions that make no difference to the global climate. On China, President Biden underinvests in the military, and President Trump underinvests in our alliances. Political motivations too often impede the solutions that these challenges demand. The next generation of leaders must take America to the next stage of global leadership. While I'm not running for re-election, I'm not retiring from the fight. I'll be your United States Senator until January of 2025. I will keep working on these and other issues, and I'll advance our state's numerous priorities. I look forward to working with you and with folks across our state and nation in that endeavor. It really is a profound honor to serve Utah and the country. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to do so. So that was Mitt Romney's statement earlier today that he's not going to seek another term in the U.S. Senate, realizing that he's going to be in his 80s. And we've seen what that gets us with Dianne Feinstein, Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump is approaching 80 himself. Joe Biden will be, what, 86 going, or, you know, at the end of his second term. It's hard not to ignore that. And we talked about the polling that shows that what nearly two-thirds of Democrats actually don't want to have to choose to reelect a Joe Biden if they had other options. There was a, a Washington Post piece today that spoke to the need for Joe Biden not to run for re-election, that he has a about a month or so left on the calendar to make room for another ticket. That piece, by the way, I'll share in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. Uh, but in fact, we can spend some time on that tomorrow. But I, I just want to talk about what kind of loss it's going to be for someone like Mitt Romney, no longer in the U.S. Senate. And I know you've got to be scratching your... Ron, are, are you sitting here talking about a Republican senator and how we're going to miss this guy? We're going to miss that guy. You don't think Utah's going to elect a Democrat, do you? Please. That's not going to happen. I mean, we, we could sit here and hope that, you know, Liz Cheney was, was somehow going to win her reelection in Wyoming and she got landslided out. Republicans have lost their way. Their voters have lost their way. And I don't know if it's that I, I have a healthy amount of respect. Well, first of all, I have a healthy amount of respect for Mitt Romney. And I, I have a particular friend, a conservative, who listens to this show every day, who's going to rip me into, you were all over Mitt Romney when he was running for president. Yeah, because he was an inferior candidate to Barack 
Hussein Obama, who was running for re-election and had this country on a proper trajectory. Yeah, I mean, he also left a dog on a crate on top of the car, and that was, you know, boneheaded, or what was the thinking there? Oh, that was terrible. But, uh, so yeah, we had some fun, or the dog didn't, uh, pointing that sort of stuff out. That was very Chevy Chase in, uh, you know, Lampoon's Vacation, right? Remember the old lady strapped to the top of the car after she died? Um, But the fact is, we know what we get out of Mitt Romney. We have no idea who Utah is going to elect to replace him. That's concerning to me. He said some things, by the way, that when talking to the media today, that I thought were worth pointing out. He is not a big fan of the Trump wing of the GOP. When he had a chance to talk about impeachment. Impeachment on a, another impeachment trial, potentially. Uh, you know, I know the House is beginning an impeachment inquiry. Um, I haven't heard any allegation of something that would rise to the level of a high crime or misdemeanor. I think it would be very unusual to actually see a referral of impeachment. I, I don't expect that to happen. Uh, they can inquire uh, and see if there's evidence that, the, that shows something else. I don't think they'll find that. I don't know. But there's been no allegation of that. And any, any uh, uh, hint of that has been denied by the president. So I, I'm not expecting that to occur. That's a Republican senator pretty much already telling you, uh, okay, if you do impeach him in the House, it ain't going to get through the Senate because you don't have his vote. And it's already at a 50-50 with the vice president weighing it. So that's not going to happen. Uh, he also went in on policy, on substance, or the lack thereof, from the MAGA wing of the GOP. And unfortunately, that's what we're hearing. And again, on the, on the Trump wing of the party, I haven't heard policy mm-hmm. other than saying we're going to build a wall. And by the way, he was president. He was president for four years. He built 50 miles. What, what did he get done? I said, well, how about the tax change? Well, the tax, that was Paul Ryan. That, that wasn't the Biden plan. He did, of course, he had a health care plan. Remember that? That was going to, everybody's going to have low-cost health insurance that was fabulous. Never proposed. Yep. Never saw. He was in four years. So it's not a policy-centric approach. And if you don't have policy to match your, your rhetoric, ultimately, it's not going to be successful. Maybe Mitt Romney's not running because he knows somebody from the MAGA wing's going to run anyway, but... You got to think that, and this goes back to me, like like I said, not just having a healthy respect for Mitt Romney. I disagree with him on policy and substance 85, 90, 95% of the time, right? But I, I also kind of have this healthy respect for, and I'm not religious. I did date a Mormon once, but I have a healthy respect for the Mormon-centric population of Utah. Like, Maybe maybe it's just Mitt that did this to me, but I, I feel like there's so, such a basis of decency among them, and maybe I'm wrong. I could be completely wrong about the Utah voter. I have no idea. But I just feel like that's just not something that the Utah voter is going to stand for, that they're more likely to elect another Mitt Romney, God please, versus a MAGA nut. I don't know. I think that's just one of those spots we're going to have to keep our eye on. I don't think the Democrats will pick up a seat in the Senate in Utah, but I do think it's worth watching to see, can the old guard Republican Party, the non-MAGA wing, can they find a candidate who will have some cachet to step in where Mitt Romney stood and carry the torch and continue to fight the fight to wrest the party control back from Trump and the MAGA wing 
And at least back to a somewhat civil, somewhat sane, although policy-wise still very off, version of the Republican Party. We'll be watching. That's going to do it for today. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American Radio app, AmericanWarnRadio.com, and wherever you podcast afterwards. Get more at RonShowATL.com. Show notes there for you from today as well. We'll see you tomorrow.